Hey, welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Got a really, really exciting episode for you coming up. If you have not yet done so, please hit the subscribe button. You do not want to miss the future episodes that are coming up in 2016. We have got some really, really good ones. But today's episode is also a very high quality episode. We interviewed Hanna Alexander of Soul Power Technologies. Soul Power Technologies is really interesting. They are capturing the energy that is expelled when you step down on the insole of your shoe, using it to charge your battery, and then using that battery to help people charge their iPhones. It is a really, really cool hardware startup that people need to be aware of. They're gonna be doing big things in 2016. And I learned a lot from talking to Hannah. Uh, we talked about the idea to start the company. She actually worked at uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX and NASA and then decided to go in this other direction down an entrepreneurial path, despite the fact that that's not something she was really ever interested or focused on. She was really interested in gadgets and technology and building things. So that was an interesting discussion to have with her. Uh, she's also got a pretty good challenge at the end of the episode, so make sure you stick around for that. But I will stop rambling and simply jump into the episode. Here's my interview with Hanna Alexander. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Cool. Uh, well, there's there's a lot of a lot that I want to unpack about your company and your path to starting this and everything that's happened since you started it. Um, but to kind of just kick things off, uh, your company Soul Power builds a shoe sole that powers devices as you walk. There's uh, a little battery that. I don't really understand how, but it manages to use the um, motion of, of stepping on a shoe sole to charge a battery. So if you could explain just maybe a little bit about more about what your company does, where the idea came from, and maybe very basically how it works. Yeah, sure. So as you said, we're doing insoles that generate power while walking um, as, as part of a broader goal to sort of develop a new category in wearables called wearable energy harvesting. Um, so essentially the way it works is every time the user steps down, it converts that sort of linear motion in your step into rotational motion really efficiently and spins a small generator, it's called a permanent magnet generator, um, inside the insole itself. So it's spinning this generator at about four to 5,000 RPM in your step, depending on you know, how much you weigh, how fast you're walking, and the power that's created is stored in a battery pack that attaches outside your shoe. So when you want to charge a phone, you unplug the battery pack and there's a USB port to charge phones, GPS, a variety of other portable electronics. Gotcha. And this kind of, this technology that you're talking about, these really small batteries and motors are components that maybe have been around for a while. And this is a similar thing we've had on some previous episodes, but it's really not been affordable to try to create something like this so small and yet at the same time affordable because these components have really only become 
uh, cost-effective recently. Is that is that fair? Yeah, sort of accessible recently, I think. Um, yeah, so so energy harvesting as a whole has, has been around for over 100 years. Um, people have put generators, even in shoes, certainly different embodiments for a really long time. Um, but the issue has sort of been, I think, the need for power. Um, so recently we use mobile electronics a lot more for essentially everything in our lives, you know, and, and this is this is something that is true for us in, in Pittsburgh, but also for people in all parts of the world. There's cell phone coverage everywhere, and people use cell phones for banking, for information, healthcare, um, you know, really everything, not just on smartphones, but on sort of dumb phones as well. So there's that, that need for portable power that hasn't been there until recently. And then, of course, there's been a huge uh, push in wearables, so, you know, fitness trackers and uh, essentially uh, sensors um, kind of all over your body that give you more information uh, about where you're going, what you're doing. So I think, um, yeah, the, this need for portable power is, is relevant now. Um, so even though this type of technology has been around for a while, it, you know, it's, it's tricky to figure it out and it's expensive. And so um, uh, I think we're the, just the first company to, to kind of jump on board and realize that if you use a, a mechanical system with old technology in a, a very new way, um, that we can uh, sort of solve a problem that a lot of people face on a daily basis. Yeah, and then what's also really exciting is it seems like there's multiple practical applications for this. You know, in the first world, there's maybe this idea that, you know, sitting is the new smoking and anything to incentivize someone to get up and start moving around. If you could say, well, I can charge my phone if I, you know, walk around and, and keep stepping on my insoles is valuable. But there's also some kind of applications that go across the spectrum. Are there any particular ones that maybe excite you more than others or particularly excite you about the potential for this technology? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple obvious applications. The, the first one that we're starting with uh, is more from a market perspective. So it's um, you know, outdoor enthusiasts, hikers, backpackers, campers, anybody who's off the grid for extended periods of time and relies on portable electronics for safety and for entertainment. It's kind of a really good natural fit. And we can start in that market because they're going to give us really good feedback on um, the necessity of sort of different requirements, technical um, and consumer-focused requirements that the, that the product needs to have while we increase efficiency and lower height and just make the product better over the course of um, kind of standard product development cycles. Um, but there, there's also a couple of other um, interesting markets which I'm excited about in the future. Um, one is uh, in developing regions. So currently there's... Um, there's a huge uh, population in sub-Saharan Africa and uh, rural parts of India that uh, use cell phones for daily critical tasks but don't have reliable ways to charge their devices. So they kind of resort to you know, paper charge solar kiosks, non-renewable sources like kerosene for even for lighting and um, power, or just walking miles a day to use public outlets. And um, this is this is really a, a, a very good um, fit in, in that space as well. We, we do plan to sort of have uh, distribution partners in those regions because it's uh, pretty difficult to start, uh, start selling product uh, across the world when, when you're not um, familiar uh, with the space. So our, our plan is to partner with mobile service providers who actually see 10 to 14 percent usage rate increases uh, for mobile devices when they provide consumers with uh, off-grid chargers like solar panels. So I'm really excited um, to go there as well. And then the, uh, the third is just, you know, general consumer electronics. Our, our batteries are always dying, and as we increase 
um, efficiency of the device and uh, continue working on it. Um, eventually, we, we'd like to release it, as I said in the beginning, uh, into a new category of, of wearable devices. Um, and I think there's, there's two sort of uh, behavioral changes that I'm really excited about um, and that I hope the, the product will incite. First is, of course, encouraging people to walk more, to be healthier. I think it's much better to walk if you can get power out as well. Kind of a great added bonus. Um, and then the second is energy consciousness. So my personal hope um, working on this is that people will be uh, more knowledgeable about how much effort it takes to create a certain amount of energy and therefore be more aware of how much energy in other parts of their life that they might be wasting. Um, so it's kind of a long answer to a simple question, but I think uh, power is a very universal problem. So we have a lot of opportunities. No, no, I, I really appreciate that. And it's, it's a great analogy is uh, having an appreciation for the value of a dollar and the value of an income when you get your first job. So, you know, my first job, I was working at Brugger's and I was making bagels and you, you get this whole new appreciation for spending an hour of your time to make, you know, whatever it is, eight bucks an hour or something like that. And to the idea of being much more conscious of what it actually takes to produce the power that you're using on a daily basis is a pretty foreign concept, I think, to a lot of people. So that's, that's a very insightful point. The idea of, of where this is going and the impact that can have is really exciting. I want to come back to that. But I'd really like to dig into the story of how you got to where you were. So going way back, um, this is a pretty bold entrepreneurial idea. When you look back on your early years, you know, high school, maybe before that, did you have the idea that you wanted to do something entrepreneurial? Was there a role model in your life that maybe pushed you or got you excited about that idea or did you come upon the concept of entrepreneurship and starting this a company like this later on? So I'm definitely not one of those people that kind of went to college thinking that afterwards I was going to start a business and didn't really know what entrepreneurship was until my senior year. Um, even though Carnegie Mellon, which is where I went for mechanical engineering, has a really great program, it just wasn't something that was very obvious to me. So um, no, so so growing growing up, I I just loved technology. I built a, a ton of things. I would fix things at home. I did uh, first robotics in high school, which is um, if you're unfamiliar with it, there's first it's a six week uh, robotics competition that high schoolers compete in. You build a robot. You learn everything from pneumatics, software, CADing, all the things that would be sort of necessary for engineers later in life. So when I was sort of deciding on schools, I was picking based on what major I wanted to pursue. And I looked at uh, Carnegie Mellon for robotics and mechanical engineering because I just really loved the sort of combination of science and art and math. And so we, we sort of went um, through school doing internships every summer. I interned at, at NASA and at SpaceX and really exciting places. At CMU, I worked in the planetary robotics lab, so uh, much of my background is in the space industry, which is focused on, you know, research, and um, it's, it's not traditionally very entrepreneurial at all. It's, it's very expensive. You have to take a lot of time to test things, and uh, if you're doing a hardware startup, you know that the, the constant battle is always how much do you focus on testing versus how much do you focus on just releasing things very quickly. So, yeah, my background is definitely not very entrepreneurial, but uh, kind of just fell into it. Gotcha. That actually reminds me a lot of when I interviewed Henry Thorne in episode 27 about how he was really focused on the technology and building things. And there's this um, 
kind of parallel education of everything else that goes into it. And you, you acknowledge the costs and the other things of starting up a technology company like this, but also just really learning to understand the market and the business side of a venture like this. Uh, you have a, a partner, is that correct, at, at Soul Power? Yeah, so um, my co-founder, Matt, and I actually came up with the idea while we were at Carnegie Mellon um, working on a, a capstone design project. So actually, originally, we were going to focus solely on technology. We were coming up with ideas that were not very practical, things like quad rotors that would deliver sandwiches in the library, just stuff that didn't have an actual market. Um, and the professor sort of told us last minute that we needed to come up with a better idea. And this had been something that Matt was thinking about for uh, for a while. My co-founder's name is, is Matt Stan. And uh, yeah, that's, that's how we came up with it. So um, uh, originally, the idea was actually to power lights on students' shoes so uh, they could see where they were walking at night and cars could see them walking home from campus. Um, and then we realized pretty quickly that if you stored that power in a battery, you could charge a lot of other things. Cool. And how do you and Matt kind of delegate responsibilities as far as business versus technical versus marketing? Like, how, how is that delegated? How do you kind of play off each other's strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, so we had really similar backgrounds getting started on this. We were both from, we saw mechanical engineers, but didn't have a lot of business experience. And uh, I think we just sort of um, fell into uh, roles that made sense for us. Um, so he focuses now mostly on fundraising, business development, uh, sales strategies, marketing, um, and I focus on testing and the technology. But, you know, there's many times when we have a problem that we're trying to solve and, you know, everybody on the team that can help uh, whether it's tech or, you know, marketing or we're trying to prepare for a trade show, whatever it is, everybody kind of just jumps on, on board and helps. So I think it's kind of nice because we have different ways of, of looking at things, different strengths, but also similar backgrounds. So we can um, kind of call on the, the same knowledge and the same sort of procedure to solve problems, um, which makes the, the flow really nice. Gotcha. As far as kind of coming to the idea and deciding to make the leap into starting this company, Soul Power. You, you made a couple just offhand acknowledgements that I want to touch back on. You interned at NASA and SpaceX, Elon Musk's rocket company. How, those are very prestigious, uh, one's a very prestigious institution, one, one is one of the other hottest you know, startups out there. To be a part of those organizations and then decide, you know what, I think I want to go in my own other direction. Was that a tough decision to make or did you just feel like those were excellent learning opportunities that you could leverage in your future endeavors? Um, yes and no. I mean, it was, it was tough uh, mostly in the sense that um, you kind of go through college. I think most engineers really go through college thinking um, that we're going to get internships every summer that are going to lead to um, a career path that we kind of plan out. Um, so it was tough in the sense that it was a big uh, switch from what I had been planning to do, but it was also easy because I loved the technology, I loved the product that we were working on, and and yeah, NASA and SpaceX are both amazing places to work. At, at each of them, I learned um, a fantastic amount of information in a very short amount of time. Both very different too. I think at NASA, I was at uh, three different centers each summer. I was in a, a spectacular program called NASA Must, which. Um, uh, encourages engineers to, to go work and get get really good relevant experience. Um, and then the summer after graduating, I interned in the structures testing department at SpaceX. So 
um, I got a, a ton of really great experience, learned a lot, and most of the things that I learned at uh, those uh, companies and organizations were completely relevant to what we were working on, uh, what we were working on at the time at Soul Power. So, uh, yeah, just the the product is a heck of a lot smaller than a rocket for sure, but you know, engineering, process, procedure, problem solving, those are all things that were really relevant. So I kind of just thought that I was hireable, I had really good experience, I didn't have anything to lose because, you know, right out of college, you don't have um, a lot of other people depending on you for much. So I guess I figured that if I was going to do, if I was going to do a startup and I love the technology, I love the, the market, that this was the time to do it. And I, you know, at the time felt I could always go back, but now I, I can't really imagine not being in a startup, which is kind of weird. Um, it just is it, so natural now. But uh, yeah. So it, it was. Uh, it, it wasn't easy once, or it wasn't difficult once I once I made the decision. Gotcha. So once you made that decision and you kind of pushed your chips all in on Soul Power, tell me about what those initial first couple of months were like. As far as where are we going to work? What's our product going to look like? Are we building a team? Uh, what other considerations were you dealing with at that time? Well, the first couple of months we had no idea what we were doing. So. <laughs> A lot of it was Matt and I trying as hard as possible to plan out what needed to happen, how much money we were going to need, how much time it was going to take to develop the first draft of the product. I think our big mistake right then was that we probably weren't as focused on what the customer wanted as we should have been, um, but we were still pushing forward and still um, developing and planning as much as possible. Um, But, uh, you know, we were at Carnegie Mellon, and they have a really – good um, entrepreneurship uh, track there. So they had this sort of pipeline that we were able to access from the get-go. Um, it's an incubator called Project Olympus. And, you know, we slept on the floor there for a couple months, basically, just working constantly on Soul Power. We talked to the mentors in that incubator, and they coached us to get into a local accelerator called Alpha Lab, uh, which provided office space, mentoring, funding and uh, essentially sort of gave us a five-month boot camp about what we actually needed to do to create a startup. So I think that's really when we were full-time and on the right track. And we just started focusing on uh, how to build something that was solving a legitimate problem. Um, So I mentioned that we started the the product or the project as a a class project at Carnegie Mellon. And the the design prompt in, in that class was create something that solves a problem for students on campus. And that's really, you know, I didn't appreciate it, didn't appreciate it at the time for for sure, but um, it's like really the core lesson of of entrepreneurship is you need to be solving a legitimate problem. It can't just be cool technology. It can't just be well-marketed. You know, I think good companies have a combination of of good product market fit and, you know, hardworking teams. So we started trying to figure out what the real pain point was. And my co-founder, Matt, is an avid hiker, to say the least. He's, you know, been out in 16-degree weather and hiked really long trails. And he kind of knew that that was a, a good fit from the get-go. So started surveying uh, potential customers, um, seeing what they were using cell phones for and other technology for. We came up with a, a couple of quick product demos initially. So I also mentioned, a, you know, a couple minutes ago that this is a, an expensive task, anything that involves hardware. Um, is is quite expensive and complicated to to produce even sort of decent prototypes. So initially, we just 
basically put uh, a, a thicker insole and uh, started walking around talking about like types of materials and um, height and kind of it, it didn't even have to work. We were just trying to get feedback for, for anything um, that we could get. Um, and then, yeah, we started working on the product. And um, I think one of the, the really difficult things is that we were in a software accelerator at the time. Um, Alpha Lab has since also created a hardware version of that same accelerator. But at the time, it was just software. And we were, so we were surrounded by all these software companies and getting told to iterate very quickly and get as many customers as possible. And these things are fantastic. They're just very difficult to do for hardware startups. Sometimes impossible if you have a, a really complex product, right? So um, we, we were getting all these sort of like act like a lean software startup, design quickly, get customer feedback, and we had no real good way to prototype. Um, we tried, you know, local shops, but of course you can't pay somebody to make your product for you. You really need to be able to get in a shop and make it yourself. Unfortunately, um, right in the middle of our time at the accelerator, a local machine shop called Tech Shop opened up. Um, and this is really fantastic. I think it's really enabling... Uh, hardware startups to act like lean software startups. It works like a gym membership, and you go in, you have access to everything from injection molders, CNC machines, 3D printers, they even have a water jet um, set of tools. So we kind of just got in there and, and started prototyping the actual product, uh, ran a Kickstarter out of that space, and um, received some national attention for it, and then kind of the rest is history. Yeah, we just had uh, Lana Diamond from Alpha Lab Gear on the podcast, and she talked about that exact same phenomenon that she's been able to implement, I guess, since in previous generations after yours in Alpha Lab, where the tech shop being this, you know, giving the capacity to founders and to engineers to really prototype at a much more rapid rate and the value that they get from that and the the more um, quickly they can find the viable product prototype that will work. So that's very insightful. Thank you for that. You mentioned the Kickstarter campaign and an important part of that lean startup model and just solid entrepreneurial fundamentals in general are customer and market validation. And uh, Kickstarter you know, has, has blown up in recent years as a tool for this. But what I want to maybe kind of pick your brain on is not necessarily how you ran the Kickstarter or other things like that. We've kind of explored that already in the show. What I want to talk about is how you how you think about different forms of market or customer validation. So Kickstarter campaign, people are putting their money down for a prototype theoretically, or they're putting it down for rewards that the Kickstarter campaign offers. And then there's other awards and commendations that your company's received, like the uh, 2014 Popular Science Invention of the Year Award, among other recognition that you've received and how you think about that because while those awards are nice and their publicity and their marketing they're not necessarily like bringing in revenue and really turning you into a sustainable business in a measurable way so can you just talk about how you analyze that and how you think about that yeah i mean you kind of uh, hit the nail on the head in, in that last point so um yeah the you can get a lot of great recognition for a good idea but it's not about the idea. It's about execution of the idea, selling it, getting good feedback. Um, so awards are great. They give a lot of good attention to the company. But, you know, until we have fully launched the product or working on our second version and growing, it doesn't mean too much. But, but yeah, I think um, 
market validation is extremely important. Kickstarter and other crowdfunding platforms are, are one way to do it, but definitely not um, the only way that's necessary. Um, for us, we did the Kickstarter not because we wanted to raise a certain amount of funds, but because we wanted to show that people would buy it at a certain price point. Um, and we wanted to get a group of people who had paid for the product to give us good feedback. So feedback is really interesting because everybody can give it, but only a little bit of it is good, usually. I mean, there's definitely some, yeah. some times where you get like a wealth of really useful information, but you know that's usually rare. If you get somebody to pay for something, though, they're going to give you really honest, legitimate feedback. So our backers on Kickstarter, uh, you know, and to some extent the um, waitlist that we have on our website at uh, soulpowertech.com, there's a little button where we say sign up to see more information. We have surveyed some of those users as well. Um, we get a lot of good information about what features people want how much they're, you know, actually willing to pay for it in Kickstarter's case because they did and on our, you know, website's case because they at least hit a buy button or wanted to. So, yeah, it, it's really important to, to survey as, as many people as possible. It shows that there is a market for the product and you can sort of start to answer some questions like what is, what is the real pain point? Is it a product that people in a certain market segment really need to have or really going to want or going to buy? Or is it something that's kind of just, you know, uh, it might have been a fluke on Kickstarter or um, it might just be something that people think are cool, but they're not going to they're not going to buy it again. You can't grow as a company past that just, you know, mild initial interest. So separating those two um, is really important. Kickstarter is a great way to, to get started with it. But uh, ultimately, just um, off crowdfunding, you've got to sell it and um, uh, get as much feedback as possible. For sure. I want to hit you with a couple quick hit questions. You Feel free to expand on them if you want, but just to understand the product, this is an audio file, so we can't necessarily like show a picture of it or help people visualize it as much as we can. What is the name of the product, and is it one insole, or are you selling both soles as a, as a pair? Uh, we are selling both soles as a pair initially. The name of the product is Ensoles, which stands for Energy Insoles. And if I, let's say I'm rocking, you know, an iPhone 6 and it's at zero, how many miles or how long am I going to have to walk or what metric do you use to determine you're going to have a full battery pack or, or fully charge my, be able to fully charge my iPhone? So we talk in terms of walk time to talk time. Talk time because it's something that you can look up on your own device. Most iPhones have about 10 hours of, of talk time, and uh, walk time is at three miles per hour. Depends on a lot of factors like user gait, user weight, but our ratio right now is two hours of walking time gives you one hour of talk time on a smartphone. Awesome. And so, like, as you said, it pertains to weight. If someone's bigger, they're applying a little more force into the sole so they can charge it a little faster. Am I getting that right? Yes, um, but it also can be a bit more complicated when you factor in gait. Typically, heavier people have a much uh, sort of slower gait, so their step um, is actually slower. Um, you know, shorter people, uh, if they're walking at three miles per hour, will have to walk faster to keep up with somebody who's a bit taller, so they're going to have a sort of a faster mm -hmm. step. They might produce more. Depends on a lot of factors. Gotcha. That's, that's very helpful. Um, when you look back, Soul Power is now four years old, and you look back to when you and Matt were just starting things out, 
Uh, you mentioned that that customer validation was something that you should have pursued sooner, but are there any other lessons or um, realizations that you wish you could give to yourself then that would have helped during this process? I think for hardware, um, the answer can sometimes be obvious in terms of planning. Um, hardware is expensive. It takes a really long amount of time, and you can't just send out an update and have the product fix itself. So. I would say best advice is to double or triple timelines and put in time for testing. I think that's something a lot of hardware groups in particular tend to overlook is the importance of making sure you know exactly how the product is going to behave at different stages in in product development. Um, And then even though something's not perfect, um, if in your testing you've shown that it's not behaving exactly how you want, still get it out into users' hands or in our case feet um, and, and have them uh, use the product and give you feedback as, as early as possible. So it doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, done is better than perfect and plan for, for lots of testing and long timelines. Fantastic advice. I'm going to start wrapping up here because I know you'll, you'll want to get back to work. But uh, before we tell people how to connect with you, learn more about soul power and you issue the personal challenge to the audience, is there anything that I didn't give you a chance to say? Um, no, I think the, your, your questions were, were really good. Thank you. I, I did a little research before we got jumped into this. Okay. Well, if people want to connect with you, uh, in the show notes for this episode, we will link to the Soul Power website. But if they want to connect with Soul Power or maybe you specifically in the digital world, uh, what's the best way to go about doing that? Um, best way is to like our Facebook page, ask questions there. Um, you can also send any other questions to info at soulpowertech.com. And uh, we love talking to people. So, yeah, de- definitely reach out. Cool. As I mentioned, all that will be linked to in the show notes before we shoot the personal challenge. Hana, I just want to say thank you so much for giving me a little over a half hour of your time to conduct this interview. I learned a lot. I'm sure it's going to be valuable for my audience, but I'm going to give you the mic one last time to issue that personal challenge. Yeah, so so my personal challenge is um, something I like to do every day. I love to read, but uh, in a startup, I don't get a lot of time. So one of the things that um, I'll do every day is uh, Google a topic that's interesting. Maybe it's something somebody said during the day that I didn't understand. Maybe it's related to something I'm working on, or it could just be something completely random that I found interesting in the news. Just Google it, read a research paper, read an article on it, um, and try to learn something new every day. So that's my challenge. I love it. That's uh, something you can do by following the digital content curator on goingdeepwitharon.com. That'll also be the location for the show notes for this episode and other information about the podcast. We just went deep with Hannah Alexander of Soul Power. Hope everyone out there has a good one. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. It's the best way to make sure you can keep up to date on each episode as it comes out. Also, if you've been liking the recent episodes and haven't yet done so, head over to iTunes, head over to Stitcher, and give the show a five-star rating and review. Uh, I've been doing shout-outs, thanking people who have done that, but that is the best way to ensure that I keep putting out episodes like this. So, As those ratings go up, helps the search engine for the show. More people find it. We get more downloads. The show gains some momentum. So that would mean a lot to me. 
Uh, but regardless, I'm thankful that you've been listening. I'm going to continue to put out some exciting interviews here in 2016. Make sure you also head over to the website for show notes, goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast. And that is all I have to ask of you. Thank you so much for listening again and have a great day.